This is Creative Mornings, a new podcast showcasing the global creative community. This episode is brought to you by MailChimp. MailChimp helps businesses grow. If you're just getting started or you're already building a growing business, MailChimp makes it easy to connect with your customers and sell more stuff. It's totally free to get started, no expiring trial, and no credit card required. For more sophisticated marketers, pro features like multivariate testing offer the same power you'd expect in an enterprise marketing platform in an intuitive, easy-to-use interface. Learn more at MailChimp.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Creative Mornings Podcast. This is Matt, and this week's episode revisits a talk from May of 2014 in Chicago, Illinois. It was actually Chicago's first ever Creative Mornings event, and the speaker is Los Angeles-based children's author and illustrator, Dallas Clayton. What's up, brother? Not much. How are you? Pretty wonderful. How about you? I'm doing pretty wonderful myself. Yeah? Good. Yeah, thanks for finding the time to revisit this Creative Mornings talk with me. Well, uh, don't think me yet. It's there's still. It could be a terrible disaster from this point <laughs> on. So we'll see. I doubt it. <laughs> so what what are you up to? What's like a typical Dallas Clayton day? Um, right now, while we speak, I'm writing a poem that I had in my head this morning when I woke up. Of course. And I was like, oh, I need to write this down before um, before I get out of my house. And so I'm multitasking right now, and I'm drawing and writing while I'm giving you this interview. That's, that's what I'm doing right now. And then after that, I'm going to go... Um, uh, I've been doing this thing where I uh, write down um, the names of people on the street, like people that are maybe need a good, to have a better day or having not so good of a day. Um, I just ask strangers in, in the world uh, uh, the names of people that need encouragement. So I've just been kind of walking around writing those people's names on the street the past couple days wow um <laughs> which isn't isn't the job and uh and then i don't know i might go to the beach and um yeah just making things man just uh, waking up each day and making new stuff um, your talk took place in chicago but you're based out of the west coast so was this just like a tour stop or something yeah when i go on tour um if I'm putting out a book or if I'm just going on tour, the groundwork to it is usually um, schools, you know, uh, elementary schools or high schools or colleges. And then depending on the size of the city uh, or what fans I have there, I'll usually send out an email being like, hey, is there anything else cool in your city besides like schools and stuff, you know, or bookstores? And uh I guess initially, right as Creative Mornings was first starting, they had reached out to me and were like, hey, you want to come do a thing? And then it just I just wasn't in Chicago for a couple more years. And then when I was on tour, I was like, oh, that seems like a fun thing to pick up. And it worked out. It, it's always cool. Uh, I love it when I don't know what's about to happen. I love it when I, the audience doesn't know what I'm about to do or who I am. I love it when I don't have to promote things and the audience is not vetted, but they're coming because they want to be there. They haven't been tricked into being there. Sure. Like even with, with kids, you know, like sometimes people will try to have readings like on a Saturday at like a bookstore for little kids, which is like kind of fun. But I mean, bookstores are great, but there's way more fun stuff to be doing on a Saturday if you're a little kid, you know? Right. Yeah. Like, like I write books and I'm not trying to go like listen to someone read a book on a Saturday. <laughs> like, uh, but if you go do it at a school, 
kids are real excited because it's it's a thing that they get to like leave class and all be in a big group and it's a collective energy as opposed to your parents like sometimes if you do that Saturday reading it's just a lot of parents being like sit down pay attention you know mm-hmm. and I want to be like don't don't do either of those things <laughs> but yeah the creative morning thing was that it was like uh more like a cool break from school and less of like a place that we're all being forced to be, which is nice. So in keeping with what you just said, how you like it when the audience doesn't quite know who you are or what you're about to do, let's assume right now that our listeners don't know who you are and all they have to work on is me introing you and saying that you're a children's author and illustrator. Yeah, that's what I do. That's my job. I write kids' books, but it's kind of an ever-changing job because the books that I write are like... um, uh, not necessarily specifically for kids, and I think that they're becoming less and less for kids the more that I do them, uh, because I, I I think I'm I'm just starting to understand that people um, might physiologically miss the feeling of of being read to. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I I'm just starting to get to a place where I think that uh, you know you woke up every day or you went to sleep every night for the first five or six or seven or eight years of your life and someone that you loved more than anything would like read a story to you that you thought mattered and then at a certain point that stopped happening and you had to read those stories to yourself or read different more complex more um, challenging stories and I, I feel like there's a there's got to be a part of us that misses that experience the communal experience of like simple important eloquent word exchange with people that you love and care about. So I feel like that's the direction that I'm going, which is just like, how can I um, put all of my ideas into the world, regardless of like what age they're, they're destined to hit. And like, what's the, what's the most efficient way to, to like excite the most people about the ideas that I have in my head. (laughs) But right now it's kids books. And you may have just answered this, actually, but this Creative Mornings talk wasn't to an audience of children. Is there a different message when you're talking to an audience of adults? I think for adults, it's about just, like, shaking yourself loose. Um, Gosh, what did I... So, like, I'm writing this thing as we talk, and and the other night I woke up and I had written this idea down that was just about, like, how far away we are from being able to play on a daily basis, Um, and that at this point in my life, like, Okay, so I live in L.A., and um, on the weekends here, like the weekends anywhere, people just take to the streets, right? It's Saturday and Sunday. They go and they hang out, and they, like, people are really open to playing. You can walk around and, and um, excite them and engage them. And then during the week, for the most part, even, even in L.A., which is a city of make-believe, or New York, people go inside, and they do their jobs, and they pay their bills, and they do the things that they have to do. And I think for the most part, like, that, like, two days out of seven mentality is pretty pervasive. So whenever I get a chance to be in front of a big audience of adults, the, the goal is just to, like, really try to shake people out of that, that, that way of thinking and really try to, like, loosen up this idea of, like, you know, what, what are we exchanging this time for? Um, and, and are there ways that we can extract poetry from like every possible moment of our lives. So that's, that's usually the goal with adults. If you didn't know Dallas Clayton before this, I think our conversation so far gives you a good look at a pretty positive guy. And as I mentioned earlier, he spoke at Creative Mornings Chicago in May of 2014. So I'll let you get into that now. There was something funky going on with the audio at this event, 
So we apologize for the irritating crackle you might notice here and there. And also there's a bit of foul language, so keep that in mind. We'll have more from our phone call at the end, which may or may not include a brand new poem. And right now, here's Dallas Clayton with his lecture, Kid Lessons. Enjoy. Yes. Yes. Thank you, guys. This is rad. Look at how many humans there are in this room right now. This is going to last like 30 minutes, so if you guys are into standing up for the whole time, you can do that. If not, feel free to sit on the ground. This ground looks pretty clean to me. You can pretend like we're in a living room watching a band from the 90s. It'll be awesome. Um, uh, my name is Dallas Clayton. I write kids' books. And I travel around and I read books to kids. The types of books that I write uh, address big themes and big ideas, broad concepts like love and hope and gratefulness and dreams. And because these concepts are so big and so broad and so bold, I am afforded the luxury not only of traveling around and reading to small children, but also middle school, high school, college, extra-large children such as yourselves, <laughs> sometimes known as adults. Uh, and in doing this, I've learned a couple lessons about myself, about the world, about how children interact and how we interact with them. And I thought I'd come and share some of those lessons with you guys today. Perhaps these lessons are big enough that you can pull them down and form smaller bite-sized lessons and put them in your pocket, carry them around with you, maybe use them today, tomorrow, 15 years from now, to make your life better, to make the lives better of the people around you. I call them kid lessons. Kid lessons. So when I go and I read to a class, I like to ask them questions. And one of my favorite questions to ask is what do you dream of? If you could do anything, if you could be anything, if you could say anything, what would your dream be? And this answer changes. Changes most specifically based on the age of the group. If you talk to kids that are five and under, you say, what do you dream of? You could have anything in the world. The most common answer you're going to hear is multiple desserts. <laughs> most kids under the age of five are just trying to figure out a way to put cookies and cake into the same meal, which is awesome because this is such an attainable goal. <laughs> I imagine everyone in this room could figure out a way to obtain multiple desserts. And yet, I don't know how many of you woke up this morning and had cookies and cake for breakfast. Which leads me to believe, perhaps some of you have given up on your five-year-old dreams. <laughs> when you talk to kids that are a little bit older, six, seven, eight years old, say, what do you guys dream of? Another answer comes up, a really common answer. They say, I want to be a famous basketball player. I want to be a famous rock star. I want to be a famous actor. And everywhere I would go, I would hear it over and over again. Fame, 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 fame. And after a while, I started saying, hey, what if you don't get to be a famous basketball player, but you get to play basketball every day for the rest of your life, and you get to love it and enjoy it, and it's super fun, but you don't get to be famous. Is that still okay? And the kid would look at me and he'd say, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what fame is because I'm six. <laughs> My dad's famous to me because I'm six. The guy that works the donut shop is like the most famous donut shop guy I could ever imagine. And he seems happy because he gets to get up every day and make donuts, which is like multiple desserts. So <laughs> it's 
really living. When you talk to kids that are a little bit older, start going into middle school, dreams change again. Start saying things like, what do you guys dream of? They say, I want to be a dentist. I want to be a lawyer. I want to work at GameStop. <laughs> talk to a fifth grade class. I think it means they want to live in a video game, but the closest they can come is working at GameStop. Which again, totally attainable goal. <laughs> but after they go through their careers, and I say, what do you dream of? And they say, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a dentist, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a marine biologist, I want to work at GameStop. There's always one kid in the back of the class. Perhaps you were this kid. Raises his hand, raises her hand. Says, yeah, I have a dream. I was thinking that I could go into the jungle and get a bunch of monkeys together and, and maybe I could learn to communicate telepathically with them and then we could build a time machine. We could take the time machine back in time and like change the way things were and then like, I don't know, go on adventures and stuff. It'd be really cool. <laughs> and then they look at me and I look at them and I say, cool. And then everyone else in the class looks at me and looks at them and they say, I, I didn't, I know when you said we could dream of anything. I know you meant anything, anything. Because I know I said the GameStop thing, but I want, can I change my answer? Because the, the time traveling monkey thing sounds really cool. When you go a little bit older, it changes again. Um, I live in Los Angeles, but I'm from North Carolina originally, and I got flown back to North Carolina by my publisher to do a, a book festival. And they set up some school readings in the morning. One of the school readings was at a Head Start program. Really little kids, pre-preschool kids. And the second one was at a high school. So I went to the Head Start program. And I talked to these kids. And I said, what do you guys dream of? And these kids, full of so much energy. So much love for life. Answering questions I hadn't even asked yet. Right? What do you guys do? Oh, we're a wizard dog. Right? <laughs> I don't, what's a wizard? It's a dog and a wizard combined into an animal wizard. Oh, it was in the name. Okay. <laughs> but these kids were so full of love and hope and joy and it filled me with passion. I thought to myself, we're going to be okay. These kids have it under control. Eventually, I'm going to get to see what a wizard dog is. <laughs> and then I drove across town to the high school reading. I should mention that my publisher not only thought it would be a good idea for me to do a high school reading, but for me to do a reading at the high school that I graduated from many years earlier. I don't know if anyone in this room has ever had the opportunity to read a children's picture book at the high school that you graduated from. <laughs> but I highly recommend this experience. <laughs> now when I was in high school, I specifically remember there being a battle fought daily between me and a hierarchy of principals and teachers and we were going at it and things were happening and it was real important. And then I got back to my high school and I was pretty sure I could touch all the walls with my hands stretched out. And I was pretty sure that that football field was not regulation size. And I think that the teacher that I thought was 56 years old was actually 22 at the time. <laughs> so I go in in this small place and I do a reading and I talk to the kids and at the end, I, high school seniors by the way, I say, uh, is there anything you guys dream of doing? If you guys could do anything, if you could be anything, what would it be? And uh, total silence, tumbleweeds are tumbling through. So, okay, I get it. The old narc has come to school to try to get you guys to cop to having dreams. I understand. 
So I find a kid in the front row. Looks like a cool kid, I can tell, because he's sitting in a way that lets me know that he does not care about his posture at all. <laughs> and I say, hey man, what do you dream of doing? He slumps further down into his chair, and he says, uh -huh. A noise that lets me know that he's so disinterested with what I've just said that he can't even bother forming a word to tell me. So, all right, cool. Going about this all wrong. Maybe that's too big of a question. Let's reverse engineer this. Is there anything you don't want to do? Uh -huh. Completely indifferent to either doing or not doing anything. And I'm looking at this kid's face and I'm looking at the faces of the kids around him and I'm thinking to myself, man, Ten years ago, a mile away from this location, these seniors were these kids in this Head Start program. These kids with so many dreams and so many ideas that they were climbing over themselves to give these answers. They had ten years to develop these ideas. They should have blueprints and schematics as to how the wizard dog is going to work and how they're going to execute it and it's going to be an app and how we're going to get it delivered to ourselves. But they don't. They have the opposite of that. Why did it did they disappear? Did the dreams vanish? And I'm looking at this kid's face and he's looking around at his friends and his friends all have a similar energy and he's looking at them and he's looking at me and I can see a look in his face a very familiar look. Maybe you've seen it on the friends of yours faces. I've seen it on my friends faces from time to time. See it in the mirror. It's a look of fear. Specific fear. The fear that if he admits that he has a dream in front of his class inside his school where the walls are so small and they don't have a regulation sized football field and everything in that world is right here if he admits that he wants to be a famous basketball player and he doesn't become a famous basketball player then he's a failure that's how he feels and I've been outside of this school and I've gone through the world and I've ridden on an airplane and seen an elephant and had all sorts of mistakes happen to me and I know that those thoughts aren't true and I want to just touch them on the face and say man let's get out of here but I can't so instead I say hey does anybody in here know how to ride a bike and they all reluctantly raise their hands and I say does anybody in here want to be a professional cyclist and they say no I say exactly when you see someone riding a bike down the street, you don't look out the window and say, there goes a failed professional cyclist. Ah, <laughs> oh, I could have been Lance Armstrong if I just would have tried harder. No. You say, there goes someone riding a bike. That looks fun. Riding a bike is fun. Like learning to play an instrument is fun. Like learning to take pictures is fun. Like learning a new language is fun. These are things that you can do that make you a part of a community that make you a part of the world that allow you to participate and you don't do them because you want to be the most famous cyclist you don't do them because you want to beat everyone else you do them because they're important but the first step to doing any of those things is being able to admit that you have a dream and whether you admit it to yourself in front of a mirror in your bathroom with a hairbrush singing like a microphone or in front of your class, or to your parents, or on stage in front of a bunch of strangers. The first step is being able to admit that you have a dream. 
kid lessons. So this girl wrote me an email. She went to the Savannah College of Art and Design. And the email said, how do you maintain a childlike sense of wonder? Right? That's where we're living right now. You can just send an email to someone you don't know that has like a really gigantic question. <laughs> and whether or not they want to answer it, they have to spend the rest of the week thinking about it. Right? <laughs> Dear Tom Hanks, why do we exist? I don't know. So, so I think about it all week. What childlike sense of wonder. Why, why are children wonderful? Am I, am, I, am I full of wonder when I see a child? What is he wondering about? What do these things mean? Right? I don't know. And I'm looking at my son. I'm looking at uh, the kids that I read books to. I'm looking at the work that I do. And I'm thinking about it the whole time. And I start to realize something. I start to realize that when you're a kid, especially a young kid, you go out every day, you leave your house every day, and you have new experiences, right? You touch things that you haven't touched before. What does that feel like? What happens if I do this? Okay, that's cool. This one's, this one's soft. Oh no, let's see. Okay, cool. And you learn things, and this one's bright. That's what that one does. This one, uh, I don't know if I should drink that one. And you start learning these things about yourself, right? You start realizing the difference between hot and cold. You start realizing the difference between up and down. You start realizing who you are. Building up the things that you like and dislike. And then eventually you get to a place where you pass that. You stop knowing who you are and you start knowing who you think you are. Right? You start saying things like, Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to like that one. I don't... I, I don't really go to that side of town. I haven't been there, but I don't think I want to go there. I don't, I don't really like those kind of people. I, I don't really vote that way. And every time you do that, you put up a wall, right? And every single one of those walls gets you further and further away from ever having these childlike experiences, from ever putting yourself in a place where you can be filled with that wonder of what's going to happen if I do this. But what if you left your work like you do every day, taking the same route that's the fastest route to get you home because there's an app that tells you what's the fastest way to get home because you want to get home and do the thing that's really important to you. What if you left the house, you left your job, and instead of going left, instead of going right, you went straight. Instead of going right, you went left. Instead of going left, you went right. And you went up a hill five minutes away, five minutes out of the way, and you went to the top of that hill, and you felt like, I've been to this hill before. And you decide, hey, I'm going to watch the sunset. And you think to yourself, I watched the sunset a million times. But maybe I haven't watched the sunset from the top of this hill on this day, feeling these feelings right now that I'm feeling. And because you do that, you have a thought or an experience or you fall down and you pick yourself back up or you meet someone new and the thing that you do changes your entire life forever. And that happens every day. That happens every day with kids. Every day they're going out and having these experiences that are changing their life forever. And that could be happening every day with you guys. But you have to put yourself out there. You have to put yourself into those situations. Because you're not a kid anymore. You know that this is a chair. You know that this is a beer. You know that this is a thing that projects light. Right? You can't convince yourself that you don't know those things. But you can go out and try to find those experiences. And that is how you maintain a childlike sense of wonder. And I don't mean that you should go out and jump off the roof of your house because you've never done it before. 
though that might be cool. <laughs> but that's not what we ask kids to do either, right? Hopefully, the kids that are, that are being raised are surrounded in some capacity by people that love them and support them. Maybe a mom, a dad, a coach, a teacher, a friend, right? And that coach, that teacher, that friend, that mom, that dad is going to allow them to fall down and then help them back up. And eventually, they become that for themselves. So that when you go out and get lost at the top of that hill, you still know, I could probably find my way back. But that's what it takes to have those wonderful moments. Kid lessons. So I went to pick my son up from school. Uh, in this story, he was seven years old. And I got to school, and the teacher came up to me, and she said, your son's in timeout. He was in a fight. Your son was in a fight. I know you may be looking at me and thinking, that guy probably gets in a lot of fights. It's not the case. <laughs> I write children's books. <laughs> try to uh, teach my son not to get into a lot of fights. Try to keep my son, uh, uh, teach him how to talk his way out of things, right? Actually, one of my favorite stories about my son is when he was really, really young, I was at a playground and uh, I saw these two kids fighting over this dump truck, right? My son was with them. And I looked down, I looked back up and the kids were hitting each other and my son was nowhere to be found. I started looking around, a little bit of panic and I see him and he's 50 yards away playing frisbee with a girl. And I thought to myself, right on. <laughs> if ever two knuckleheads are fighting about something that's totally inconsequential, the best place you can be is 50 yards away playing frisbee with a girl. <laughs> Think about that the next time someone steps on your shoes at the bar. Perhaps keep a frisbee in your trunk. <laughs> but at this moment, seven years old, he is not 50 yards away playing frisbee. He has been in a fight at school and he is in timeout. So I come up to him and I say, what happened? And he's blanketed with fear. And he tells me the story. He says, I was on the bleachers. I was reading my robot magazine. <coughs> Full disclosure, he was not reading a robot magazine. He was reading a copy of Sky Mall <laughs> that he thought was a robot magazine. <laughs> because Sky Mall is full of absurd inventions. <laughs> my son doesn't know that. So he says, I was reading my robot magazine. And Joey came up to me, and Joey said, hey, why are you reading that nerd magazine? And my son said, leave me alone. And Joey left, and Joey came back a little while later and said, hey man, why are you still reading that nerd magazine? My son said, hey, leave me alone. Joey left. Joey came back a third time, said, hey, quit reading that nerd magazine. Slapped the magazine out of my son's hand. My son punched Joey in the stomach. Joey started to cry. End of story. <laughs> now, as a parent, there's a huge part of me that hears this story and says, that's not how we act. We solve our problems with words. You don't need to resort to violence to solve a conflict like this. As a human being, there's another part of me that thinks, perhaps Joey had three chances <laughs> to avoid this conflict, and maybe the lesson that Joey just learned is how to read the signs a little bit better. But you can't say that. You certainly can't say that in front of the teachers and the principal. <laughs> so I said, we'll talk about this in the car. We get in the car. And we're driving home. And I'm thinking about it in my head. I don't know how many of you are parents, but a lot of these situations come and you kind of just got to go with it. You don't know what happened. What do you say? What do you do? And you start thinking about it for yourself. Hopefully, 
You put yourself in that situation, you think, why don't we punch random strangers? I don't know, right? What is the answer? Is it philosophical? Is it emotional? Is it our nature? Is that who we are as humans? And I'm thinking about these things and I realize I don't know anything about Joey. Right? My son's been going to school with this kid for five years. I don't, I don't really know anything about him other than his name. So I say to my son, hey, tell me something about Joey. What do you mean? So you've been going to school with him for five years? Describe him to me. It says, uh, well, he's fast. Right? If you ever want to feel good about yourself, you should have the seven-year-old describe you because guarantee they're going to say some things that you had not considered as part of your skill set. <laughs> says here, Mr. Clayton, that you're incredibly fast. Oh, yeah, I am super fast. You got the job! <laughs> so my son says he's fast. Okay. What else? He's got a red shirt. He's <laughs> fast. He's got a red shirt. You know him this kid for five years. You got anything else for me? Nah, that's all I got. And as we're having this conversation, a guy walks in front of the car, and he's on crutches. And I say to my son, hey, do you know that guy? And he says, no. So if that guy was your brother, do you think you would be more likely or less likely to help him across the street? And he said, more likely. I said, why? Because well, I know him, and I, you know, I care about him. I said, exactly. I want you to go to school tomorrow. I want you to learn something about Joey. I want you to get to know Joey. My son says, this sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> I just punched this dude in the stomach. You want me to go talk to him? He said, trust me. Trust me. Okay. So he goes to school. The next day I go to pick him up. My son comes out and he is beaming. He says, you'll never guess what happened. I talked to Joey. Turns out, he likes Pokemon. I like Pokemon. What are the odds? <laughs> the odds are pretty good. <laughs> But my son doesn't know that, so I just say, that's amazing! <laughs> he says, yeah, we're going to get together, we're going to trade Pokemon cards, we're going to start Pokemon Club together, it's going to be awesome. And that was two years ago. My son and Joey are best friends. Right? And we live in this world where we're constantly connected, right? We're all walking around with a computer in our pocket with pictures of people in it. Some of those faces we know, some of those faces we don't know, and maybe we pick out that phone every once in a while when we're feeling insecure and we're waiting in line somewhere, and we're looking at these pictures thinking, what is this hat that he is wearing? Who, why so many pictures of his baby? Why am I even following this guy? Right? But maybe this is an opportunity. Maybe this is an opportunity to say, hey, who is this person? How could I get to know this person? How could I see this person a little bit deeper? How could I make a connection with this person so that they're not just another face? So that they become closer to being my brother than being some stranger on the street. So that they stop being a face 3,000 miles away that I could say anything I want about on the internet because they're not real to me. And they start becoming a human. And we're surrounded by these opportunities every day, right? You're sitting in a room right now. People next to you, maybe you know, maybe you don't know. Maybe this is an opportunity. Take a minute. Maybe you know the person next to you. Maybe you don't. Say hello. I'll wait. <laughs> this is how easy it is. Right? This could be happening every day. This could be happening every day. When you walk by someone on the street and you think you saw them a couple times, maybe, but you don't know their name, you can just go up and say, hey, 
My name's Dallas. What's your name? Wilfredo. Wilfredo. Yeah. Beautiful. Hey, do you like Pokemon? <laughs> Me neither. I don't like Pokemon either. Now we got something in common. And we're not best friends yet, but we're one step closer. He's not a stranger now. If I see him trying to carry something up the stairs, maybe I'm more likely to help him. Maybe he's more likely to help me. Maybe if I need a cup of sugar to bake a cake, I can go next door and talk to my neighbor now and say, hey, neighbor, whose name I don't know because we don't live in a world where it's cool to know your neighbor's name. Can I borrow a cup of sugar? And that'll bring us one step closer. One step closer to being best friends. Kid lessons. So the last kid lesson um, is the most recent kid lesson. Happened a couple months ago. Uh, it was a friend of mine's 40th birthday party. The first friend I've ever had to turn 40. That's a thing that happens to you, right? <laughs> My first friend turned 40. My friend actually, his job is a professional skateboarder. His job, throw himself downstairs. My job, draw unicorns and dinosaurs. These are real occupations. Don't limit yourself. Someone asks you what your dreams are. You can make up whatever you want. So my friend is turning 40 and the birthday party is about 30 minutes away from where I live in LA. Six o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday, traffic. Put my son in the car, my son's 10 years old at this point. Get in the car and we start driving and as much as I want to be the guy that turns left instead of right and goes up to the top of the hill and watches the sunset, from time to time, you get stuck in traffic. It's a reality. So I'm in traffic and I'm trying not to be the one that's hunched over the wheel and cursing in my head. And as I'm doing that, I'm thinking about how when my son was younger, we used to spend so much time together just entertaining ourselves with nothing, right? String in a cardboard box. Spend a couple hours just playing make-believe. Doesn't happen so much anymore. And I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, when he was younger, I used to make my hand into this rabbit. And the rabbit would talk in kind of a... Uh, Armenian meets French meets I can't do an accent sort of accent, right? Like, how are you doing? What's going on? Right? <laughs> but I hadn't done it in so long, I totally forgot this guy's name. Right? So I'm sitting there and my son's beside me and we're stuck in traffic and I say, hey, do you remember this guy? What's going on? And my son says, Raul! <laughs> Where have you been? <laughs> and immediately I vanish. And my son's 10-year-old self vanishes. And he's, he's, he's a toddler. He's in a land of make-believe. And Raul starts regaling him with stories about all the adventures he's been on. And my son is catching up with him. And I'm invisible. I'm a spectator. I just get to watch this whole thing. Back and forth they go for 20 minutes talking about all kinds of made-up stuff. It's great. After a while, my hand starts to cramp up a bit. <laughs> I say, all right, I love you, I gotta go, I love you too, Raul. And Raul disappears into the steering wheel. I say, that was cool, Raul stopped by, my son says, yeah. And there's kind of a moment, the sun's starting to set a little bit, it's getting dark. So air gets a little thicker in the car, I can kind of feel it. And my son says, Dad, is Raul going to die? And I say, well, no, what are you talking about, man? Raul's like a part of us. He's going to be here with us forever. It's going to be awesome. Okay. And then a minute passes and now the air is just, it's like it's not in the car anymore. It's gone. It's heavy. It's dark. And I look over and through the darkness I can see that my son is starting to cry. 
And I said, well, what's wrong? And he says, well, I just realized that Raul's going to die, and that means you're going to die, and that means mom's going to die. I don't know if you've ever made a human being before and then had that human being contemplate their own mortality, but there's not a rule book for this. There's not a playbook. There's not cliff notes. You kind of just got to go with what you have in your pocket at the time. So my first play is, uh, oh, no, look how young I am. I got friends that are skateboarders. This is going to be all. No, don't worry about it, man. I'm going to live a long time. My son says, you're just saying that. I say, yeah, yeah. Let's <laughs> try number two here. My son really likes music, likes to play music, likes to listen to music like a lot of kids do. I say, well, you know when you hear a song, a song that you really love, Chances are that band might not even be a band anymore, right? That band might have broken up years ago and the members of that band might have disappeared into the universe somewhere, right? But you still hear that song and it still makes you feel good. You could be walking through, walking through the city, you could be pumping your gas, you could be in the grocery store having the worst day ever. Taxes are due and your rent's overdue and you don't know what's going on. You hear that song, some random song, and it hits you right there and fills you with a joy. Makes you want to laugh or smile or dance or brings you back to a place that you remember that was real special at the time, right? So I say to my son, like, maybe that's what it is, right? We're all walking around worrying about our bands, right? Worrying about who's going to play bass, who's going to put the album out, who's going to distribute it, whether or not we're going to get a gold record, where we're going to play. But really, it's about the songs, right? It's about the songs that we're making. And those songs go on way beyond us, right? They go get to live in a world that you don't ever get to see, right? They get to affect people in ways you don't even know, in their houses, in their cars, while they're jogging around the lake, right? They get to have these moments that don't have anything to do with you, but they do, right? Because you were there. You helped create those moments. Maybe that's what it is. These songs. And you can tell that my son is starting to warm to this idea, but he's still a little broken up about it, right? He's still got a little bit of a tear in his eye. And I realize, I say, hey, you know what? There are going to be a lot of times in your life, especially if you're a boy growing up in America, where people are going to tell you not to cry, right? They're going to say, suck it up, man up. You see people, when they're on TV, when they're accepting an award, when they're doing an interview, they start to cry. The first thing they do is apologize. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to do this. I didn't know this was going to happen. No, that's the song, right? That's what it is. You're being driven to emote by a human experience, right? You're being pushed to a place where you can't even control yourself. Enjoy that. Don't apologize for that. That's rare. That's magic. And I say to my son, look, imagine you were laughing so hard at some joke that you couldn't even control yourself and someone came up to you and told you to stop laughing. You would just laugh more, right? <laughs> My son starts to laugh, and he says, now I'm crying because I'm laughing. <laughs> At that point, I just lose it. And he says, you're crying. And I say, yeah. And he says, why? I say, because I'm proud of you. And by that point, we had missed our exit like three or four times, <laughs> <laughs> driving around in circles. I pull up to a stoplight, and I'm trying to figure out where we are. And I look over to the right, and I say, I know what that is. Turn off real quick. That's wet cement get out of the car, write my name in the wet cement. I say to my son, go ahead. He says, is this legal? <laughs> I say, trust me. He writes his name, 
Raul shows up. Raul writes his name in the cement. And we go to my friend's 40th birthday party. And normally I would have walked into this party maybe the same way some of you guys would have walked into the party talking about I was stuck on the 405, I had to go to the 110, there was traffic and it was, oh, it was such a bummer and now I'm here and now let's just eat some pizza. But instead I walked in and I was like, oh my God, you guys, I just had one of the best experiences of my entire life and I was stuck in traffic. And I'm so glad to be here with you, my friend that's turning 40. I love you and I'm so glad to be here for this experience. And if there's a common thread in any of these lessons, these kid lessons, right? Whether it's figuring out what you dream about or trying to pull yourself together with a community, putting yourself in situations where you have new experiences or taking common experiences and making them a little bit more extraordinary, it's that you have to try. You have to push yourself to do these things. One of my favorite answers when I ask the group of kids, what do you dream about? Perhaps my favorite answer is I don't know. Right? I look at the group of kids and I don't mean I don't know like you slumped over in your chair and you kind of half-heartedly tell me the answer. I mean someone comes to you, they say, what do you want to do? You raise your hand, you stand up and say, I don't know. There was a period where I thought I wanted multiple desserts. <laughs> then I knew I wanted to be a professional basketball player. Then there was a point where I had this monkey plan. I don't really know what happened to that. And now I don't have any idea, man. Maybe tomorrow I want to play guitar. Maybe the day after that I want to start a company. Maybe I want to be a doctor. I don't really have any idea. Maybe the thing that I want to do, maybe the thing that I dream about hasn't even been invented yet. The other day my son got a, like a little rash on his leg, right? It happens. When you have a kid, I was getting into trouble. And I looked at the rash and I realized, oh, we have to go to the doctor. Go to the doctor, get the ointment, get the prescription, do the thing. And I looked at it and I was like, I bet there's an app for this. And I looked at my phone and there was. <laughs> I picked up my phone. On the other end of the phone, there's a doctor somewhere in a video conference, looks at the rash, tells me what it is, gets me an ointment, prescribes it, I go and get it, done. Right? That is a real thing that exists. <laughs> Ten years ago, if I would have told you that was a real thing that existed, that would have been as crazy as the time-traveling monkey concept, right? <laughs> We're living in a world that's moving real fast. You guys are all living in a world where the ideas that you have can be realized real quick. And it's possible that the things that you dream about, the things that you keep inside you might not even exist yet. Maybe in a year, two years, five years, ten years, you can make them real. And you can make them things that change people's lives. But you have to try. So usually I end with a book, kid's book. Kid's book's pretty small. It's a lot of you guys. So maybe what I'm going to do is I'm going to do an uh, imagination reading where I say the book out loud. You guys imagine the pictures in your head. Maybe you go home. Some of you look pretty creative. You could draw the pictures out yourself. Send them to me. Make my job that much easier. <laughs> This book is called An Awesome Book. Let's put the microphone down for this one. An Awesome Book by me. <laughs> there are places in the world where people do not dream of rocket-powered unicorns and candy cane machines, of magic watermelon boats 
and musical baboons or teeny tiny trumpet players training pet raccoons. Yes, there are places in the world where people dream of dreams so simply unfantastical and practical they seem to lose all possibility of thinking super things, of dancing wild animals with diamond-coated wings. Instead, they dream of furniture, of buying a new hat, of owning matching silverware. Could you imagine that? Instead, they lay awake at night wishing for a car, and not one that runs on jelly beans, but one that's regular. They dream of breakfast sandwiches, they dream of telephones, sometimes they even dream of dreams that aren't even their own. Yes, there are places in the world where dreams are almost dead. So please, my child, do keep in mind before you go to bed, to dream a dream as big as big could ever dream to be. Then dream a dream ten times as big as that one dream you see. Then once you've got that dream in mind, please dream a million more. And not a million quiet dreams, a million dreams that roar. A million dreams so loud they scream, so loud they sing and shout, so super huge they say, hey world, guess what I'm dreaming about? I'm dreaming about everything that no one thought to wonder. Dreams so big that they've got dreams and they've got dreams up under. Please dream for those who've given up. For those who've never tried, please use your dreams to make new dreams for all the dreams that died. Because you're the ones whose dreams can be whatever dreams you want, whose dreams can change the way things are and the way that things are not. And if they say that all your dreams seem too big to come true, you tell them that I told you that's what dreams are meant to do. They're meant to make you seem as if you don't know up from down because dreams are dreams. And that's why dreams are worth having around. So if you think your dreaming's done, just remember what I said. Close your eyes, my child, and dream that perfect dream inside your head. The end. Dallas takes a handful of questions, which I'll choose some highlights from before getting back to our conversation. But first, we've got to take care of some business. And this episode is also made possible by Envision. I'm on the phone with Aaron Walter, former general manager of new products at MailChimp and currently the VP of design education at Envision. I was a, an Envision customer for years and I saw how it changed the way that we worked at MailChimp. And aside from the professionals, I feel like Envision is also perfect for that one friend we all have who keeps coming up with different app ideas. Yeah, I mean, if you're just working through an idea that you have, you can start to sketch out those ideas uh, on paper. You could start to sketch out those ideas in Photoshop and you can upload those screens into Envision and stitch them together in such a seamless way with animated transitions. It, it, it looks so real. You can't tell that you're using a, a prototype, that it's just you're faking it. And you don't need some huge corporate budget to get started. Yeah, so there's a free account and you can sign up and just get started using. You've got a, a limited number of prototypes that you can create, but um, you get pretty much all the features of the product very quickly. Giving teams the freedom to prototype, review, iterate, manage, and user test web and mobile products without a single line of code, Envision helps 2 million designers at companies like Evernote, Adobe, Twitter, and Salesforce unlock the power of design-driven product development. Follow the company on Twitter at Envision App. Now let's get back to some Q&A with Dallas Clayton. What do you dream about? 
Man, it's crazy because I get that question a lot. That's probably one of the top questions that I get when I have to do interviews with people. And the real answer is I'm fully in my dream right now. Like I'm, every day is kind of more of the same. Like today I woke up. No. Today I didn't go to sleep. <laughs> I'm on tour. So then I went and lived my dream a little bit. I went and read to maybe 2,000 elementary school kids, two different schools this morning. Then I went to an ad agency and read to a bunch of adults that sell you guys tires and things. I don't know what they do. <laughs> and I came and talked to you guys. I think it's important, maybe if you have a dream, a really specific dream, right? Like you say, uh, I want to be a writer. That you peel that back a little bit and you start thinking about the elements that make up that dream, right? Like what is it about being a writer that you like? Is it that you want to be famous? Is that you want to emulate writers that you grew up reading? Because chances are the writers you grew up reading didn't grow up reading themselves, right? They grew up on other people. So for me, the parts of, of my dream have to do with really broad ideas, which are like meeting people, sharing concepts, traveling, not necessarily having to have a clock, right? So I get to live those parts of my dream. And it just so happens that they fit into the framework of kids' books, which is Again, this is totally made up, right? This isn't like this isn't a thing. I'm reading a kids book at a beer sponsored. This is probably illegal. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a thing that happens. It's just you just go do it and figure it out. I grew up in a world of like uh, you do it yourself, right? Like nobody wants to do it, you do it. And you get in the van and you go around, and you make it real. And then if you like doing it, it doesn't matter. It'll just happen, and you're doing the thing that you love. So that's it. I'm in it. I'm in my dream. More of the same. Good question. Do you have uh, any advice for someone trying to self-publish a book? Yeah. It's a good idea. <laughs> uh, you know, you got to love what you're doing, right? Like, I think it's kind of like what I just said, right? Like, I live in L.A., and a lot of people there, the type, when you say you're a writer in L.A., it usually means you're a screenwriter, right? And to write a screenplay, unless you have a bunch of money to fund that screenplay, or you've already written really successful screenplays, chances are you have a box full of ideas, some of which have been made and some of which haven't, right? And for me, that's kind of hard to justify because the ideas that I have that I want to spend time with are ideas that I want to make and share with people. So if I have to go down to Kinko's and staple them together and put them out and sell them to people on the street, I'll do it because I believe in it, right? And you see people that are super religious, right? Like dudes on the street handing out pamphlets seem like crazy. Those people are emphatic because they seriously believe what they have to say is going to help you, right? They seriously believe that they have the answer. And I feel like that's how you should feel about the things that you make, right? So if you're going to self-publish, I think you got to feel that way. Because otherwise, you're just using it as a gate to get to another step, right? You're using it to become J.K. Rowling or whatever, whatever whoever, Stephen King, right? But if you really believe in what you're doing, I think it's a great idea. It's what I did, not by choice. I tried to get my books published, and publishers were like, whoa. And I was like, all right, I'll see how this is. This seems, people make books. That seems easy enough. Super hard. <laughs> but I put it out, and it worked for me. But I think it only worked because I believed in what I was doing. I think if I, was, if I had made a book about like a, a monkey that chases a duck or something, just like, oh, I know kids' books are popular. I'll make a kids' book. It'll sell a bunch of copies, and they'll, they'll pay me, and I'll live in a mansion. I don't think it would have worked that way. Like a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I had a kid super young, and uh, I was like, oh, this is a real human. This human is more important than I am, and now I want to 
make things for this human. I want to create knowing that this human exists and that the world that I live in is affected not only by me, but by him. The types of things that I make are going to help inspire him and he's going to help change things, right? So it's really cool because I didn't, I didn't write Awesome Book till he was about five. So it's not like he came into the world and I was a really successful author. It's he came into the world and I, you know, I was like, he got to see the whole process from drawing to, you know, uh, putting books together myself to shipping things out of my house to getting distributors to getting publishing deals to going on tours, the whole thing. And so I think that's really important because you, you know, when you're a kid, like I said, I don't know where this thing was made, right? Like I, a book comes from a store, right? How do they get made? How, who makes them? Are there pe people can make them? Oh, I can make them? That's important, right? The sooner you learn that, the sooner you get to a place where there's not a distance between you and the guy on stage, right? Like when I go and do readings and they're like, there's a stage and a microphone and it's like real absurd and I'm up here and you're down here, it makes me feel like a cop, right? Like, like I grew up in a world of like, let's be in a living room and communicate with each other because we're all humans. I'm not better than you and you're not better than me. That's what I enjoy. That's just a personal taste. But I think that's an important step to learning how to make things, especially for kids. Super important. Yeah. What's your favorite book? My favorite book. That's a big question. My favorite kid's book. Um, my favorite kid's book, I think, is The Missing Piece, I think. You know? Like, it, like I want to say that The Grinch is, is probably my favorite kid's book, but I think The Missing Piece is like, like I think if The Grinch is like The Beatles, right? And then The Missing Piece is maybe, I don't know, like Pink Floyd or something. Like just something that's like still super rad, but just a little different. Yeah, The Missing Piece, that, 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 I mean, I, I assume you guys, it's a Shel Silverstein book. It's like fucking, it's a, it's like a, a pen line, right? Like the book looks like it took a minute to write the whole book. It makes me so mad. <laughs> like I look at it, like he's, it's about a circle and on some of the pages, he hasn't even completed the circle. Like he's drawn it like you would draw the letter O, like, ah. And you're like, oh, dude. And then you read it and you're like, oh, you, so good. So good. But then, you know, adult books, like I, I had a really big, a really big Steinbeck phase for a really long time. That dude's devastating. So good. Uh, I don't know. It just changes, man. I was at the airport yesterday with a bunch of airport books. <laughs> I could read an airport book for sure. One last question. Yeah, this is you. It's all on you. No pressure. During this question, the audio cuts out in the worst possible way, and I could not subject you to that. So the audience member asks Dallas, when he goes to write a book, what comes first? Does he think of a lesson he's trying to teach or what? Super good question. Super, that's probably the best. I mean, not that your other questions weren't good. <laughs> I messed it up. <laughs> no, that's a really good question. It's, it's all theme. I don't know if this is true. This is a formula that I use. Take it or leave it. I feel like kids' books are a really interesting place, right? Because I don't think any other work of art is, is as simple and has like as few ingredients as kids book and is designed to hit such a, a broad target, right? And if you look at the best kids books, like The Missing Piece or The Grinch, for example, right? What they do is they, they speak to the child and the adult equally, yeah. right? 50-50 split. And I think, again, my theory here, I think that 
all the best works of art do that. They split 50-50 down the middle, right? To, to the part of you that wants to think and to the visceral part of you that just wants to feel. And I feel like, you know, there's plenty of examples of art that splits maybe 80-10 toward adult or to kid, right? Like, like Transformers, the movie is probably like 99% kid and 1% adult, right? And maybe some Godot film is like 99% adult and 1% kid. But I think the best work of art, regardless of whether it's film or photo or book or any of these things, is 50-50 is down the middle. And it starts with a theme. And it might only happen one time in someone's career, right? Like you look at their whole body of work and you're like, that was the one, that was the one album, that was the one movie where they just nailed it. And those are the ones that I think are universal. And each one of those, when you get to the core, there's a theme. And that theme is probably really big, like super big, like love, you know? <laughs> like just, why not, right? Something that everyone can relate to and then you peel it back from there. That's where I start. I just try to reach as many people as possible. Just swing for the fences. Because, like, I want to meet everyone in the world, right? And I know it's not going to happen, so I might as well make a thing that affords me the luxury to meet them in some way. Meet their kids, meet their people. You make these things, like I said, you make these songs and you think, like, I just made this thing. And then someone is like, hey, I, I, so I read this thing every day to this person that I care about most in the entire world, right? Or, like, hey, I read this a book at my wedding. Or like, hey, this thing that you did is super important to me. And I think if you're going to do that, you've got to start with a really strong theme. That's it. Wait, he has a question. This is really the last question. Um, what are you still like, kind of scared of? I mean, as you tour and you... <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know that I live that way. I mean, I... There's no way to answer this that doesn't sound kind of pretentious, I guess, but like I haven't had a really terrible life, right? Like I, I have a lot of friends, I, I'm kind of outgoing, and I haven't had a lot of tragedy in my life. I know a lot of people have, even in a Western way. Like I'm not even talking like I grew up in a diamond mind, right? Like I'm talking like I know plenty of people that have had really horrible childhoods and have had really tra traumatic experiences. And I feel like when you're a kid, when you're a teenager, you start to make art, and usually the art that you gravitate toward is art of, of, of angst, of aggression, of counter-art, counter right? And that art usually comes from a place of, like, sadness. And I don't have that in me at all. And so for me to try to do that, to try to live in a world of fear or sadness or, like, uh, sorrow is, is false. Like, it's as ridiculous as me being like, oh, I got a gold Bentley or whatever. It's absurd. And so, but I do have a gold Bentley. Um, <laughs> But it's ridiculous, and so I feel like rather than pretending, what I try to do is the opposite, which is like, look, I'm, things are good for me right now. They might not always be good, but right now they're good for me, so I want to put out as much magic as possible. If you have sadness in your life, throw it on my shoulders. I'll help you. We'll try to cross the finish line together. Because otherwise, like, you know, why are we doing any of this, right? So... I, I, I wish I had, like, a, I'm afraid of spiders, but I don't really have that right now. I'm, again, I might eventually. You know, it's weird that we're, like, we're all slowly dying right now or whatever, but it's, it's, I, don't think, I don't think about it in a way where I'm like, oh, rats, you know? Let's just get up and make things. What else? So that's it. That's all I got for you guys. Thanks. Thank you, guys. So as I mentioned, those were some of the Q&A highlights. And as always, you can watch this complete talk along with the unedited Q&A at creativemornings.com.
There were just a few more things I wanted to discuss with Dallas, one being the answer to that last audience question, what are you afraid of? How long ago did you find the confidence? Because when you say it's false for you to try to live in a world of fear and sorrow, I still can't help but think how hard it is to make happy art. And much like how you talk about those kids who won't tell you their dreams, it can be uncool to make happy art in the same way. It's tremendously uncool to make happy art. It's definitely... uh, it's it's such a nuanced thing like it's it's a hard needle to thread you know like you either have to have already established yourself as someone who is like confident and cool enough in who they are that like what you make is bulletproof or you have to um really distance yourself from any desire to be cool you know because most of the art that we take in much like most of the playing that we do comes in our youth, you know, like it takes a lot, a lot to seek out new art beyond your twenties. Even with the internet, it takes a lot of effort to like try to continually expand. So, so much of our relationship with art comes from these years when we like really had no idea who we were or what we were doing. And if anything, uh, at least personally speaking, like so much of my teenage years w- were built on not judgment, but definitely like uh, reaction rather than being proactive, um, recognizing things that were broken and then pointing them out without necessarily having a solution as to how to fix those broken things. So like the art that I'm trying to make, I think, is um, uh, has little to do with pointing out things that are broken and has everything to do with offering solutions, uh, even if temporary solutions, to um, um, uh, either to um, problems that can be solved or to uh, maybe to exalt things that I think are are beautiful and not broken in any way, you know. Uh, so rather than being like that thing sucks, if I can't solve that thing that sucks, if I don't have an idea or a solution for it then why don't I just talk about this other thing that completely rules, you know? <laughs> like, why don't I, why don't, if, if, if I'm in that position, uh, if it's possible, you know, uh, why not shed some light on this other thing that, that, that might in some way eclipse the terrible uh, example and, and uh, bring joy whenever possible. So this random thing happened to me, and after speaking with you, I feel like it's something you might appreciate. I had never heard your name before I was told we'd be speaking on the podcast. And once I found out, suddenly a friend of mine on Facebook posts a quote of yours and said how much she loves your work. And this is completely unrelated. And so all I'm thinking is like, is this some crazy universe stuff? Or was my mind just suddenly familiar with your name and it popped out to me, you know? I mean, I think it's whatever you want it to be. Like my feelings on God and religion and the universe and things like that are like, Every day you have an opportunity to make up that answer for yourself. And you can take the answer that like people have been giving for hundreds or thousands of years. Just like you can make a bookshelf from Ikea and it's totally sufficient. It's going to hold your books and it'll probably look cool and like it'll be easy. And like probably no one's even ever going to question you or talk about it. Or you could be like, what the fuck do I really want to put my books on? Or you could be like, do I even want to own books right now? You know, like... Each day, it's an opportunity to reinvent that answer for yourself. So, like for you, you can you can have a couple answers. You can have one that's like, uh, well, that's obviously just a coincidence, and I was never aware of that dude's name. And now that I was aware of it, it was easier to see. 
Or you could be like, dude, this is magic. And like, whether or not you believe it's magic, that's the question. Because if you don't believe it's magic and it's just a hoax and you're just tricking yourself and you're not being honest, then that's one thing. But if you're like really taking the opportunity to like reconsider the potential that there is some sort of magical thread that the universe might be feeding you an answer or giving you an opportunity, like to me that's cool. I think that that's... It's, it's just playing, you know, like if a kid comes up to you and he's like, I'm a wizard, clearly that kid isn't a wizard, but you have the opportunity right now to play into the fact that he is. And, and depending on how deep you want to go with it, you can, you can maybe believe he's a wizard for a couple of minutes and maybe he'll, he'll present you with a magic potion that'll make you feel great. Something tells me this last question that I have for you coming from a guy who started this phone call in the middle of writing a poem is not going to be too hard to answer. Um, but we end every episode with a question. And the question is, how do you challenge yourself creatively? Um, I guess I don't find it too much of a challenge. I, I think that it's, it's just about um, just considering everything that's around you, right? So like, if you go somewhere that's new and beautiful, like say you go to like Greece for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. There's going to be so much creativity that's, that's going to be flowing through you. New city, new landscape, new people, new language, all kinds of um, challenging, beautiful ideas. You don't know where you are. You're free from your job, and, and situationally, you can, you can go out on a limb, right? You can take chances. But when you're in your daily routine, um, it's harder to do that. And so I think that the, the challenge is really just remembering that each step out of your house or even each like step out of your bed is a new opportunity for exploration. Like think about, have you been, have you stood in the corner of every corner of your house and just like close your eyes with your face in the corner? You know, I don't know what that leads to, but, but that's something to do. It's something to explore. It's interesting to think about like all the different potential um, poems and inconsistencies and, 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 that live within your daily landscape so like for me staying creative is just that like constantly examining the smallest parts of each step um making sure that i'm um that if i do have an answer that it's the that i've come to it rationally that it's not based on like precedent or nostalgia or something that i don't necessarily agree with but i think i agree with because um a company told me to agree with it years and years ago before I was like enough to make those decisions. Um, I, I guess c- creativity through uh, maybe just like constant examination, mm-hmm. feeling and examination. Perfect. <laughs> oh, okay. So I finished this poem. You want to hear it? Oh my God. Seriously? Of course. Okay. It goes, uh, when the wonderful wizard went walking, he found that his foes were illusions He learned maps hadn't taught him humanity and that answers weren't always conclusions. He felt music that sounded like memories and ways to be heard without talking. And that's why he wrote me a poem this morning when the wonderful wizard went walking. That's it. That's just incredible, man. Way to raise the bar for all our future guests. (laughs) (laughs) It was in my head this morning. I had to get it out. Well, I'm glad you did, man. And thanks again for taking the time to chat. All right, man. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Well, that was pretty amazing. Speaking of which, if you dug it, please head over to the podcast section on iTunes and leave us a review. And also, 
we're looking for roosters. This week's rooster comes courtesy of Hayden Davis in Portland, Oregon, and we would love to know what a rooster sounds like where you're from, so please send us a voice memo along with your best impression to podcast at creativemornings.com. Next week, we'll hear from the beautifully inspirational Tiva Harrison, a writer and artist who speaks on the topic of time and her ongoing battle with cancer. Suddenly, instead of racing from meeting to meeting, staying late to do the work generated in those meetings, never enough time for all the work, I was sitting in waiting rooms, and I was waiting. Time stretched out in a bleak expanse. Our thanks to Dallas Clayton and everyone at Creative Mornings. This episode was produced and edited by S. Mateo with sound engineering, mixing, and original score by Devin C. Johnson at Little Library Studios in collaboration with S. Mateo Music. Follow us on Twitter at Creative Morning. Remember, it's singular. And use hashtag PodcastCM when you tweet at us. For a complete archive of talks or just to get involved, go to creativemornings.com.